So I need a little help. You guys are going to talk back to me. What is one lesson or the top lessons that little kids need to learn by the time they're three? Sharing. Okay. Thank you. I had this fear that, like, no one would say that. And then, spoiler alert, the next, like, 25 minutes were going to be really painful if all of you were like, oh, we, we neglected sharing. So thank you for that. I appreciate that. I had a little panic attack yesterday. But some other lessons. Spoiler alert, we're going to talk about sharing. But what else, what else do children need by the time they're three? Potty training, yes! Someone said that last night, and I was like, I appreciate that lesson. I know it's a hard lesson, but I appreciate it. What else? Don't touch. Yeah, there's a lot of objects that children should not be touching. Matthew, because he's one, has just reached the level of the knobs on the oven, the stove. Yeah, it's a problem. Um, <laughs> what else? Anything else? I'm sorry? Kindness, yeah, that's a great lesson. Kindness, learning to listen. Today we are going to talk about sharing. And hopefully sharing was on your list. Sharing is one of those life lessons that we learned when we were children. It's really valuable. If you grew up with siblings, maybe your parents told you, remember to share, because sharing is caring. Anyone remember that rhyme? You kind of, it sticks with you, but you're not quite sure where you learned it. It's just like in your mind. You probably learned how to share when you were little, when you wanted to keep all of your toys to yourself. Parents were like, no, no, sharing. Sharing is caring. Except when it comes to germs, like, I'm not about that. So, like, keep those to yourself. I don't like germs. I mean, who does? But I do have to admit that actually sharing germs when you're little is good for your immune system. So even I can acknowledge that sharing germs is necessary. <laughs> So parents, teachers, and even characters on your kids' favorite TV shows all tell you that sharing is wonderful. And Elmo, have you ever watched Sesame Street? Elmo has a special sharing song. If you follow along in our YouVersion notes, I've given you a link to that song. You should really take some time this afternoon to get the song stuck in your head. I mean, it's a really good time. Don't keep it to yourself, either. Like gather people together and listen to the sharing song. It's, it's a good time. And then later you'll be like, sharing. And then you're like, where's that coming from? Elmo! Oh, you're welcome. That's my gift to you today. So on this like macro level, sharing is good for our families and our communities. And when we share our stories and our experiences, we draw people closer to us. It builds this relationship of trust. There's a sense of connection when we share with other peoples. Other people, other peoples, that would be weird. But on a micro level, sharing is actually really good for us as individuals. Sharing when it's motivated by kindness, this desire to help others, it actually makes us happier. And I don't think that we share consciously knowing that it'll make us happier, but it does have an effect on us. So let me show you what I mean. Past couple weeks, we've been doing this whole competition with the toy drive. Donuts, your prize. I mean, there's a lot of things I would do for a donut, but that's not probably why you brought in a toy. Maybe you did. I mean, <laughs> if you're all about competition and donuts, I'm not going to begrudge you that. Like, I can get behind that. But we know that that's probably not the driver for why you would actually bring in a toy. 
If you brought in a toy, you probably brought in a toy because you know that sharing with a child can impact their life. Jesus spent most of his time with 12 guys. They traveled together, they learned together, they ate together. They also probably shared some inside jokes with one another. Essentially, they shared their lives with each other. And when Jesus was arrested, they gathered together to mourn and comfort one another. And throughout the years, I've also had a close-knit group of friends that have supported me through some really difficult times. My last semester in college was a really rough one. Because simple things like, what am I doing with my life? Where am I going? Am I even going to get a job? You know, small life questions. All of those came crashing down on me my last semester. And I had a friend named Jillian who helped me through it. She helped me to have joy in the midst of a lot of difficult and uncertain times. And I'm not sure that I would have made it through that semester without her. Jillian impacted my life in a positive way. I needed her, and she changed my life. So I want you to think about your own life. Do you have people who have helped you through rough patches or hard times? Do you have someone in your life who has impacted you positively? Let me ask you another question. Have you positively impacted someone else's life? And I would hope that you could say yes to all of those questions. And maybe you thought impacting someone's life wasn't really a form of sharing, but I actually think it is. Because I don't think sharing is limited to physical objects. I think there are many forms of sharing. And when we talk about sharing, I think the most natural thing for all of us to do is to share our life with others. Because your life can make an impact. Jesus shared his life with the disciples, and he made an impact on them. And then the disciples went out, and they shared their lives with other people, and they made an impact on the world because of their relationship with Jesus. I think the example that Jesus set for us is a strong case for living our life as part of a community. None of us were meant to do life alone. One of our core values here at Stonebridge is group life. I've been a part of a group, a growth group, throughout the years, and I can definitely say following Jesus is easier when I have a supportive group guiding me and surrounding me. So I want you to think back to the people who have made a positive impact on your life. Did they spend time with you? Did they help you? Did they go out of their way to be present for you? And if you can answer yes to those questions, I want to challenge you with this. I didn't write it as a next step, but I want you to do this this week. I want to challenge you to tell the people who made an impact on your life. Tell them the difference they made for you. One of the reasons that we are sending off Pastor Jeff with a book of fond memories and well wishes is because it's important to tell the people in our lives 
that they've made an impact on our life. We can't just assume that they know it. If someone has changed your life, tell them. So Jesus sat down on the grass, and for a few minutes on that day, it was just him and his disciples. John actually makes a note that the Passover feast is coming up. Passover was a celebration of the Jews' liberation from slavery in Egypt. John later, in his book, he records what happened on that special night when the disciples gathered together to share this meal. When they were all gathered, Jesus wrapped a towel around his waist and poured water into a bowl. And he stooped down and he washed the disciples' feet and he dried them with a towel around his waist. And then he told them to do this for one another. Jesus performed the duties of a servant and he gave us the example of what it looks like to share our life with others. Jesus was saying, this is how you share your life with others. You help them, you serve them, and you make sacrifices for them. And if you've ever been married, maybe you've experienced this before, there are times when sharing your life with your spouse requires sacrifice. Or maybe you've actually set aside your plans and your needs to help a friend. You've sacrificed your time in order to be a good friend. And if you've ever been a parent, maybe you can agree that sharing your life with your children requires you to sacrifice vital things like sleep and sanity. But you do it knowing that you can impact your children. This lesson that Jesus taught his disciples, it didn't stop there. This lesson of sharing and generosity, it actually continued into the church community that the disciples formed after Jesus rose from the dead. From the very beginning, they shared everything. The church was characterized as a place of giving and sharing, and this became their way of life. And so Luke records the adventures of the apostles, and he put it in a book called Acts. And so this is what Luke tells us about that first community. He says, all the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them, because those who owned land or houses would sell, would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. This group of followers were so convinced that God would continue to provide for them, no matter how much they shared. They couldn't help but share if it meant that it would help others. I wonder if they were able to share because they remembered this day on a grassy hillside, where before their eyes, Jesus multiplied loaves and fishes and fed 10,000 people. They took that experience of abundance, and they lived it out in the community that they formed. John notes that the people ate as much as they wanted, and yet there were still some left over. 
I mean, how much did we just eat for Thanksgiving? As much as you wanted? I mean, I ate as much as I wanted and then some. It's probably a bad idea. But I think that was the same idea. They ate as much as they wanted, and yet there was still some left over. The community shared because they knew that they had more than enough. And I think that's an encouragement to us today. We can share because we have more than enough. So I love bread. I don't know how you feel about bread. How do you feel? Does anyone else love bread? Yes, thank you. Okay, cool. Yes, I love the pits. They're both like, yeah, we love bread. Cool. So have you ever gone to California Adventure and gone to the Boudin Bakery that's there on the wharf? Yes. Some of you are saying yes. Okay, cool. So you can actually take a tour, which, you know, it's not, it's not bad if you like carbs or, you know, baking. Plus, they give you this piece of sourdough at the end. So, I mean, like, why not? Like, why not go there? And then go across the street and, you know, go to Ghirardelli and get some chocolate. So it's like, it's like the melding of just a perfect day. Anyway, so this company, Boudin Bakery, they boast about their bread. And one of the things that they say is that their bread today is made from the same mother dough that was cultivated from a sourdough starter of a gold miner in 1849. So for over 100 years, this company has relied on one source for their bread. To make a sourdough starter, you combine flour and water in a jar, kind of leave it in a warm place, and then the bacteria grows and it goes to town, and then it doubles in size. It's actually Pretty good science experiment if you want to do it. Some people give away portions of their sourdough starter. Maybe you've been on the receiving end of that. I also learned this week that you can buy a sourdough starter through the crafty website Etsy. If, you're, if you can't convince anyone in your life to give you one, you could actually buy one online. I don't know what the shipping is like for that, but <laughs> that's a thing you can do. This week, I was actually reading an interesting article on sourdough starters. Never thought I would say that before. <laughs> and yes, that is a thing, sourdough starter articles. It's a, it's a real thing. <laughs> like, just Google it. You'll find out. But the author noted something that really stuck with me. In order to maintain the size and balance of your starter, it's important that you use it or that you share it. And this made me think of our topic for today. Because left alone to its own devices, the starter will grow and multiply. And now you could keep it all to yourself and be inundated with bread, for sure, which is not necessarily a bad existence. Or you could end up with like 12 different jars in your fridge, and you're like, OK, I should do something with these. You can keep it. Or you can feed the starter and then share from your abundance. And I wonder if the early church, I wonder if they looked at giving and sharing the same way that a chef looks at a sourdough starter, knowing that that is going to grow and multiply. It's going to increase day after day until the only thing that you can do is share it and give it away. Now, the young boy in today's text, he, he didn't have sourdough. He had barley. Barley was the cheapest and most common type of grain. And instead of huge loaves, I mean, this little boy is not carrying around five 
big loaves. He's actually probably carrying around something that looks like a, fall, a small, flat cracker. And the fish are not large. <laughs> They're also probably more alike to small, pickled fish. Based on this boy's lunch, we know that he's poor. Yet he offered what he had. It's hard to say whether or not he thought that this was actually enough. But I wonder if he thought it would set off a chain reaction of giving and sharing, in which other people turned to one another, and then they started giving and sharing. The boy offered, and Jesus used it. It's not up to us to decide how much our offering will grow and increase and double like the sourdough starter. The important thing is to offer and then let God take care of the rest. Jesus performed this miracle. It was his work. But it was the boy's supplies that were multiplied. I think it's hard to talk about sharing without acknowledging that there are things we would rather not share. Maybe we don't feel comfortable sharing our thoughts. Or maybe we don't feel comfortable sharing our time. Maybe we don't like to share our money. It's hard to feel like we have an abundance when we feel pressed for time or when our bank account is low. How can we share when we don't feel like we have enough? Our brains are really powerful machines, but they play tricks on us all the time. I want you to do this with me. I want you to think about the last thing you really, really wanted. Picture it in your mind. Are you doing that? Some of you are. Are you doing that? OK, think about something you really, really, really wanted. And then I want you to give me a number. On a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being, eh, 10 being this is the most fabulous thing ever, better than sourdough, if there's a thing, or donuts. I don't know. 10 being the greatest, 1 being whatever. How happy were you to get that thing? Give me a number. 10. OK, great, yeah. Anyone less than 10? It's OK if you're a 9 or an 8. We're not going to judge you. 8, you're like, yeah, yeah. So maybe you were at a 10 when you got a new iPhone. Or maybe you were at a 10 when you got a new pair of shoes. Like, if you offer me a pair of shoes with, like, back support, <laughs> I'm at a 10. <laughs> a new pair of shoes, it's a real thing. <laughs> maybe you're at an 11 when you got a new car. Cool. For those of you who thought of an object that's maybe a couple months old, maybe a couple years old, how do you feel about that object now? What's your number? 10. Okay, cool. Great. Anyone less than a 10? <laughs> Anyone go down to like maybe a 3? Like 2? Yeah. I mean, I was really excited to get my phone a couple years ago. Now my phone is like, maybe I'm at a 2. <laughs> like, eh, that object. Here's what our brains are doing. Our brains trick us into getting used to the things that we see every day or the things that are around us all the time. We get used to them. So the stuff that we really, really wanted, it started out being great, and we loved it. 
but it stopped being great the moment that we got used to it. And then when we get used to things, we realize there are actually other things that we want, newer things. This causes us to never feel like we have enough. How then can we share if we don't feel like we have enough? Social psychologists, they have a title for this game that our brains play on us. When our brains get used to things, it's called hedonic adaptation. Our brains adapt to the things that we see every day. There is hope, though. They suggest there's something that we can do to combat what our brains are doing. So the trick is, you have to trick your brain when your brain is tricking you. You can't let your brain know that you're tricking it while it's tricking you. Some of you are going to think about that later. The key that they say is to invest in things that don't stick around, namely experiences. Going to a concert, spending time with your family and friends, going to a men's or women's encounter weekend, serving at Christmas shop. All of those are experiences. They don't stick around so you don't have to adapt and get used to them. You can't hold an experience in your hand. You can remember it, you can replay it, but you can't hold it and get used to it. When we invest in experiences and people, not things, we feel like we are able to share from a position of abundance. The disciples invested in experiences that revolved around helping people. They invested in people because people matter to God. I don't know about you, but I used to hate group projects. I absolutely used to hate them in school. I'm okay with them now, but <laughs> church is a group project, so like I'm fine with them now. I mostly hated them back then because there were people who did the work and there were people who didn't do the work and you know who you are. <laughs> Not judging, I'm just saying. Yet every year, teachers would assign group projects and you're like, oh, why teachers? Like, God, why? And some of you are teachers in this room and you're going to come up later and tell me why. It's okay. <laughs> I have a hypothesis about why. <laughs> I think there's a long list of reasons, but I think that one reason that teachers assign group projects is that, so that we will learn to share ideas and collaborate with one another. Sharing ideas actually helps us to connect things together in new ways, in ways that left alone by ourselves we might not have seen. Sharing knowledge also actually helps all of us get better at what we are trying to accomplish. So when Jesus saw the huge crowd of people coming towards him, he actually turned to Philip and asked him where he thought they could buy bread to feed all of these people. And John makes sure we know how many people are gathered that day. There's 5,000 men, which means women and children are not accounted for. So there are actually probably 8,000 to 10,000 people that day. Philip might have been singled out, simply because he was sitting next to Jesus. That might have happened. 
or probably because Philip was from Bethsaida, which is a town located nearby to where they're standing on this hill. Jesus is essentially involving the disciples in the biggest group project ever. He's drawing them in. Philip, though, he doesn't really have anything to contribute. <laughs> and there's like always one person in a group project. <laughs> but Andrew has an idea. He doubted it would work, but he offers it anyway. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? There are good ideas, there are bad ideas, and then there are crazy ideas. And there's always one person in a group project that has crazy ideas. You know it's true. <laughs> Maybe you don't say that they're crazy. Maybe you're the one with those ideas. That's okay. I think Andrew's idea is one of those crazy ideas. Luckily, though, Jesus didn't think it was crazy. And I don't know what Andrew was thinking, but I think I can relate. There are times when I actually doubt that my ideas are going to be successful or that they're actually going to work. And I think our best ideas come when we are presented with a problem that needs to be solved. I think, though, that we get stuck when we convince ourselves a problem is too big or it's too impossible or it's too difficult and we'll never be able to pull it off. And Jesus was actually the best at solving problems. I mean, I think that comes along with being God, so there's that. But you know what I find amazing about Jesus? He didn't solve all the problems himself. He didn't just walk into a room and make it better. Instead, Jesus invited his followers to be part of the problem solving. And when Andrew had an idea, even though he was afraid it wouldn't work, he offered his idea. He shared it anyway. And then Jesus took the idea and he ran with it. I think that's an encouragement to us today, to share our ideas. Ideas lead to innovation. And innovation is where true collaboration begins. This young boy, he offered his food. Andrew spoke up and offered his idea. And Jesus miraculously fed 10,000 people in one day. Imagine what you could do if you showed up, if you got involved, and if you shared your ideas. Imagine what this community would be like if all of us shared our ideas, if all of us got involved. Imagine the impact that we could make on the world. Because when you share your life with others, you change their lives. And when you share what you have, you make an impact on other people. And when you share your ideas, innovation goes crazy. So I want to ask you, how are you going to change the world?